tell me what, like around 2004, I think, mm -hmm. what was going on with you? Well, I guess technically, technically I was, I was basically having kind of a mental breakdown. You're listening to the Sub Pop Podcast. I am Arwen Nix, and today's episode is a conversation with Alan Sparhawk from Lowe. Lowe was in Seattle on tour recently, and Alan said I could come and talk with him at his hotel. So if it sounds like we are in an empty ballroom with an enormous air conditioning unit, that's because we are. Okay. So 12 years ago, Alan was on tour with Lowe. And he and his wife Mimi had started the band in 1993. Sub Pop began working with them in 2006. But it was 2004, and the band was on tour in Europe for their record, The Great Destroyer. And Alan was in his early 30s, and for more than a year, he had been really depressed. Like, really, really depressed. He was battling what he described as episodes. It would be a day or two stretch where he would just be so out of it. early 30s it's pretty at least for at least for men it's pretty common that if, if you're gonna hit the wall you usually hit it about then because that's sort of when you're it's sort of the moment where your your youth youthful arc <laughs> collides with the inevitable and, and of life so Alan felt off he was smoking a lot of weed or using whatever came across his plate and he went to the doctor to try and see if maybe some medication would help which to be honest was probably the most treacherous part of the whole process, I think, when, they, when they're trying things, you know, like, here, try this. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, you, you have to wait for weeks to tell whether something is working or not, or tell whether it's going to hit you adversely. And, um, yeah, it was weird. It was kind of a collision of many things, you know. So while on this tour in Europe, Alan has basically stopped sleeping. He is not performing well. On stage, he will start songs that only he knows or songs he only knows half of, songs that no one else in his band knows at all. And he would spend time incoherently rambling on the microphone. And it was really hard for his bandmates. It was just real uncomfortable as a performer, probably. And then as, a, as you know, as my wife and essentially my best friend, you know, watching me sort of fall apart and, and become very, really, really not, not in control of myself. And then... You know, I had a notebook that I was writing in madly, and you know that's a pretty common thing for people when they're when they're starting to hit the wall. You'll, you'll write a lot in a notebook. And I had millions of ideas of how to fix this, and I had inventions, and oh, I know how we could do modular housing for the military, and you know all this all these things, and and uh, everybody around me, of course, was just getting nervous and manifesting their, you know, their, everybody was dealing with it differently. My my wife was very very patient, of course, and you know my kids were very young, probably just didn't even know what was going on. They were. Dealing, dealing with being on tour, you know. And, but yeah, you know, Zach, who was our bass player, you know, very, you know, was, was very uncomfortable with what was going on. And when we got back from that tour, um, you know, he, he said, I just, I just can't, you know, you, you gotta go do something like that we can't deal with anymore, so. When the tour was over, Zach was one of the many people close with Alan who asked him to go and get help. And then Zach quit the band. And again, Alan also knew something was wrong. But at the same time, he felt like he was 
going through something important. Like whatever he was getting to, he needed to get there. So Alan was talking to his wife, Mimi, and he said, I need to go spend some time in the woods. And she said, okay, but please take this friend of ours from church. And so the two of them, Alan and his friend, went out to a cabin. Yeah, as soon as I got out there, it just, it just, it was very weird. It was just, just really, my grasp on reality really took a dive. I started, started getting delusions about, I was, I believed that there was something sort of spiritually cosmic going on and there was going to be some, you know, it could be a little bit tied in with religion and sort of the second coming of, of Christ and sort of the conflict between good and evil and, and light and darkness and stuff. And I, I had this specific part I needed to play and I needed to just sit tight and close my eyes and stop speaking, which I did for a few days. After a few days of Alan not speaking and not opening his eyes, his friend was able to convince him to get in the truck and head back to town. And when he got back, his friend took him to the hospital. I was still pretty delusional, but I guess part of me just just, just had kind of surrendered and really didn't, I don't know. I, I guess I felt like I'd been sort of trying to convince everybody that I was okay for so long that at that point I, I, I just kind of gave up. So Alan got some sleep. He opened his eyes again, but he was pretty pissed off. In his mind, what he was going through, this important thing, this journey, had just been stopped in its tracks. It, it's, it's like the whole pathway up to that made, it makes sense. It's like, well, of course, this is where we're coming to, right? And, and, in, and it's really, in some ways, it's a really great feeling because all the time coming up to that, you're like, what is going on with me? And part of you is going, what? there's something wrong here. What, what's the deal? And then when you become del completely delusional, you realize like, oh, oh, this is, what's, this is what's going on. I'm the Antichrist. And this is, this is you know, it's just, this is me just waking up to who I am. And, you know, that's, at a certain point, that's literally who I thought I was. And, and, and you thought you were the Antichrist. I thought I was the Antichrist, but sort of in a... But more in a, not, not so much in a sat, you know, I'm Satan and I'm going to kill Jesus. And it was, but it was more of a yin and yang thing, kind of like... Kind like, of like there's in good the in the world yeah, and there's then good there's... In the, there's, you know, and if, if there is a figure that encompasses grace and, and good and just, you know, and, and, and love, then there has to be a counterpart to that, you know, a representative that then is the representative of the imperfection of man and I guess you know that to me fed into it fed into an upbringing of you know I'm, I'm Mormon I grew up Mormon and there's there's some very very heavy and very even even sort of existentially philosophical concepts in that that, that in some ways really really can, <laughs> can open the door to to a, a pretty wide and kind of cosmic view of, of God and, and who we are as humans and so so in some ways that you know that became the, the language of of delusion and yeah you get you get when when that f slowly dissipates and you realize no no you were just just delusional and you're this is how you're gonna be <laughs> So this is what you were realizing after as, some rest in the hospital? Yeah, yeah. As you're in the hospital, you kind of realize that. And, you know, 
family members and friends coming visiting you and they have kind of that odd look on their face like that you start recognizing and, and stuff and it's just yeah it's, it's weird like I said it just you feel like you're you feel like you're some a journey or some sort of process that some sort of metamorphosis that you needed to go through has been disrupted <laughs> the way he describes it the unit he was in was not set up for helping people who are going through what he was going through many if not most of the other patients were coming down off of meth so after five days even though they wanted him to stay longer alan decided to go home I leave, I very, very happily go home and start smoking weed again, which I still, to this day, I really believe was, was pretty key to coping and, and, and eventually sort of, sort of getting, getting my, getting a little bit of clearance from this, uh, exercise, um, running kind of in the midst of when I was sort of going a little crazy and obsessing about things as they went along. A good friend of mine was like, hey, let's go, let's go running. You know, you should go running. Let's go running. Come running with us. And I mean, I was loopy enough at the time. Like, yeah, okay, okay, that'd be great. You know, and so, yeah, so exercise was pretty key. But uh, yeah, I mean, I went home and, you know, Everybody around you is <laughs> kind of stepping lightly and 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 trying to be trying to be nice and, and trying to deal with something that they've never witnessed before and and of course you know you don't you don't just go and get fixed you know it takes a long time and you're still very sick. Alan had a very hard time with the different medications the doctors were trying on him, and when he heard the news about the passing of Chris Cornell he immediately thought of his own struggles. When we, heard, we were in China when we heard when, when Chris died. I remember hearing kind of some of the first few days, some of the information kind of trickling out, some of the medications he was on, and I remember just, oh, as soon as I heard that, I was just like, oh, jeez. You know, and it just, that was like the most sinking feeling to me. Because, I mean, I've, I've, I've definitely experienced, like, like medications, the medications are so so gnarly and so treacherous you know i mean yes sometimes they're they're important and boy when you're in a really acute situation and if you're in a hospital or something like that then yeah i mean they, you know they, it's sometimes it's kind of the only way to get yourself out of something but man when they would try stuff on you i mean i i mean i i mean i i, I mean i had i had a suicide attempt I, I swear off I, and I really contribute a lot to the to like this the medication that they were trying on me at the time I just remember it just it just it would just it was very weird you know but you know the classic thing like oh it makes you numb and whatever and you don't think it was like kinda but so, some of them they're just kinda scrambling things and you're like well, you know it's like it's like this motor spinning and you're not seeing a lot of the things that are around you and you like like you it's almost like you're standing outside yourself watching this automaton making decisions and you're like wait a minute do we think about it? no like oh where's this and so when i heard about chris and, and, and stuff i'm like hey, well yeah this yeah yeah it would it would 
I mean, anything that messes with that moment of like, okay, what's going on here? I mean, if you can't do that, if you can't do that, then you're going to get in trouble, man. I mean, if you don't have that capacity to have that little part of your brain that goes like, okay, wait a minute, who's, who's running the show? Then you're, you're going to find yourself just, just drifting on the wind. So I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't know necessarily go far so far as to say to people like, "Hey, if you're having a tough time, don't take medication." But man, be really careful and just be really conscious of the fact that that is a whole other factor. And just, I mean, I don't know. I feel like doctors need to be need to stress more. They're like, "Look, we're gonna try something on here, but you need to really keep your eyes open. And if this is..." throwing a new wrench in an already difficult machine, then, then you need to let us know right away. I want to be clear. Medications are a godsend for many people who suffer from mental illness. But over the years, Alan has found what works for him. And what it is, is sleep, good diet, lots of exercise. And all that's easy when you're at home, but it is a hell of a lot harder when you're on tour all the time. And so Alan told me he tries to get in some running every day, that there's something important about just moving, going left, right, left, right, to get your two sides of the brain talking to each other. It's a lesson he says he took from when he did some EMDR therapy. That stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I mean, a brief description of it is it's, 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 it's talk therapy that's sort of mixed in with a little bit of maybe what maybe looks like hypnotism or something what you're doing is is stimulating the left and right side of your brain kind of back and forth sometimes you'll watch a light that goes back and forth sometimes you listen to some some beeps that are kind of going in the headphones and go left and right left and right the theory is that the back and forth is this really very primal simple way of getting the hemispheres of your brain to start communicating and talking back and forth, which when you're depressed and when you're under trauma, that does not happen. What happens is what the left and right does is kind of get your brain to kind of start communicating. And meanwhile, you're talking, you know, if there's something that's that day that's you stressed out about, you can talk about it. And, and it's interesting is what I've found as, as this is going is, you know, as you're talking about what's going on, it'll for some reason, your subconscious will open up. It'll, it seems like everything gets blurred a little bit, and you start getting, you're like, oh yeah, now I remember now sitting with my mother and her saying this or this, or I remember being under this thing that looks like it has bars on it or something, or, or you're like, oh, I remember something. Yeah, it's very, very weird. You'll, it'll kind of bring up stuff, and the objective ultimately is to like, is to go to those places where there's trauma or memory or whatever and, and, and see it consciously and go, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not being sexually molested by, by these fucking teenagers in this car, you know, and, and so you can kind of say, okay, I'm here now. I'm fine. This isn't. This isn't happening. And the, ultimately, the idea is to then get your primal, your primal 
side of your mind to, to, to let it go. So therapy helped Alan, time helped Alan. And in the last dozen or so years since this psychotic breakdown, he says he knows himself way better. He can notice things he wouldn't before, or at least in a way he didn't. The sad thing about going crazy is that you've never done it before and you don't know what it is and you don't recognize it while it's coming. But once you have, of course, you, you become a lot more aware of, of, of yourself and your, your consciousness and your subconscious and, and you, you can be a little more vigilant and understand it a little more, you know. Uh, yeah, you, you're a little more attentive. You can kind of see, okay, I'm getting stressed out here and, 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 and I know that if I do that for days, I'm gonna eventually start getting irrational and, and, and it'll start, you know, cascading on a silly. Like, oh no, okay, now, now I'm not sleeping because I'm obsessing and stressing about something and then that makes it worse. So you, so you, you look so for you the still, You, look you for still the deal with that sometimes? Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I still have, yeah, I'm still, still bouts of depression, uh, little episodes of the last for a day or two where I'm, I just, I just kind of, just get a real negative perspective, just get real down on yourself and have a hard time. I don't know. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still trying to figure that one out. I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out what that is. I still have these. My wife is, is, is really been patient and, and good. And we, we, you know, we've not, we've known each other since we were nine and we, we, we communicate. that I hesitate I suppose the answer is no I, you know I, I don't I, I guess in many ways I don't just because that happened you know I mean you really you know if you if you if you thought you had your if you if you th thought you had it figured out before you know you, once you yeah once you have a little mental slap in the face it, it'll really kind of wake you up to that so you, you have to really really be vigilant vigilant so I, I guess I guess no just because I know that that could happen it, it happened once it could probably happen again uh, but but at the same time I'm I feel like I'm having gone through it I, I can see it I can see things coming I, I, I'm healthier now um, just just in my life and physically and, and what, I, what I do, which I, again, I think that was a huge factor. Um, do you love yourself? Ooh, that's, 
don't know. I think I think there's I think everybody's layers. I'm probably about three layers. On the surface, I generally try to be positive and I like to be friendly and, and, and you know I'm I'm usually nervous if it's too quiet and I want everybody to be all right, you know. And then underneath, there's a layer of layer of of actually I'm very very frustrated and very and I, and I can be very negative and very um, impatient and and fatalistic you know and and uh, but I'm pretty convinced that way in there there's there's a little child that's that is purely hopeful and that for some reason that second layer can't get at it. it's been trying forever <laughs> they can't quite get at this little layer inside me that that i don't know that's that's the little layer that's kept me alive and so maybe you love that little guy i yeah i hope that when it's all over that that's the little guy that i really am um but man there's It's that second layer is so powerful that you just almost don't want to visit this, the, the inner layer too much because you'll bring the, the outer layer with you. you know? But I don't know, after, after being delusional, you're really not, there's, there's a lot of stuff that you're not afraid of, you're not afraid of much. It's very weird, I think once, you've, once you believe that you're the Antichrist, you're kind of not. Yeah, it's really weird, like I'm not, like, like all those little things as an adult you carry over from a childhood, there's like these tiny little fears of things like walking in the dark or like, like walking through the woods and there's nothing there or something like that or stuff. It's like as an adult you still have those things a little bit, but like after you go crazy, it's, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so you feel maybe stronger now kinda than you did before? Kind of stronger. It's a little bit of a letdown because you're like, oh, there's no such thing as magic and there's no such thing as this or this or this. And no, there's not gonna be a weird boogeyman that's gonna surprise me in the woods and tear my arms off and have glowing eyes and scare me or whatever you know that's, that's I'm not know. disappointed by that no, I'm happy no, that there's no it's boogeyman very, <laughs> but, on a, but, but on a real primal level like literally you can like like those little twinges of excitement or, or those little like ooh, a little bit fear that you get as you like literally yeah like like walking into the forest in complete complete darkness like like, like, you know, I think generally people would be like a little nervous, but I guess I remember the first time I did that and realizing, wait a minute, that feeling is gone. And just and sort of searching inside your brain and realizing, like, oh, something's changed. You know, it's it's in the same compartment that that sort of now is skeptical of anything that like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that feels right. It's like, no. Yeah, that same thing. That same thing that made you, made me question. Like, okay, it's the same thing that made me start from scratch with religion. 
It's clean. Oh, wait a minute. All this stuff I thought. I have to completely throw it out now and start from scratch because that mechanism for being able to tell what's true and what's not true is, is I know what it's like to have that completely pulled out from under you and how easy that can be pulled out from under you and you not know. So, I don't know, yeah, you, you're more skeptical, but in a certain way it's, it's, it's a strength because everything, every little fragment that you do embrace and that you do know, so to speak, is, 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 is real and it's, 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 be, it's beyond delusion. Well, that's my hour. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you want to oh. mention? Wow, I don't know. I mean, this this has been great. I mean, there's there's so many so many things about it that you could talk about, and it's you know it's obviously therapeutic to talk about it. But I don't know. Yeah, I found it really encouraging. Just. just anyone, man, if you've gone if you've gone through that and you see someone else going through that man you gotta just keep just keep talking to them you know and even if they've got this glazed over look like they're not even hearing anything you're saying and they're acting contrary to what the advice you're giving them you gotta you gotta keep it's it's going in you know yeah. it's it's going in it's just that, man when you're losing it like that it's, it's it's chaos man it's the blender's running and stuff is flipping over and turning inside out like like at a at a at a you know, a pace that, you, that, that nobody, nobody can keep track of. So, so real, real love, real understanding. As long as it's coming in, it's it's vital and it's important. So, if you know, if you ever, you know, if you, even if it doesn't seem like it's getting through, you know, you got to express to that person how much you care about them and, and that you're there for them and show them respect. Too. Show, them, show them respect and just show them that you're there for them. And, and, you know, you you can you can trust that person's and still help them and keep them out of danger. You can trust that person, and 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 and, and someone who's going through that really desperately needs needs something, and, and even if it's just a moment, you know, they're they're reaching for every 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 little every little fragment they can have they can grab onto that's real and that they can they can have hope and again even if it doesn't look like it's even being heard or if it's even registering you, you gotta you gotta trust that it's it's helping Thank you for talking to me. Sure. Yeah. Good luck, everybody. And, uh, man, <sighs> careful. Be careful. Careful out there.
an enormous thank you to Alan, to you, Alan, for talking to me about this. Um, it was a really important conversation for me, and I hope it's a really important conversation for our listeners. You can hear all of the music from today's episode at subpop.fm, or you can follow us on Spotify. Um, and we have also, again, put some resources up on the website for anyone who is dealing with mental health struggles. A special thank you to Alyssa Atkins and Stuart Fletcher, and thanks as always to the Sub Pop Brass, Chris Jacobs, Megan Jasper, and Jonathan Poneman. Bye, guys. <laughs>